Hey everyone, welcome to the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael, and today we're going to talk e-readers, we're going to talk some digital publishing news, and so on. So, first of all, let's talk about new e-readers. The Kobo Glow HD is going to be shipping out at the end of April, so roughly in just a few days. People who have pre-ordered it from Kobo, or from Chapters, or from their bookstore in the UK and Europe, you should be getting it sent out, so that's good news. We like this e-reader. We've extensively checked it out and dived into it on every level. We feel that we can recommend it if you have Kobo Touch, the original Kobo Glow, or an e- Kobo e-branded e-reader that's more than two or three years old. This is a massive upgrade, primarily because the speed in which you turn pages and books are faster, but also the text overall has higher resolution. This is the highest resolution screen that Kobo's ever released. So if that matters to you, like clarity of the text, faster page turns, and overall a more stable and robust device. This is really good. If you have an e-reader from Kobo from the last year or two, uh, like the H2O, the Aura, and things like that, maybe this isn't enough of a compelling reason to upgrade, but that's just my thoughts. Pocketbook has a new e-reader that we have just reviewed over the course of the last few days called the Pocketbook Sense. This is very surprising to me. This is the first pocketbook e-reader that looks modern and it looks sexy. It's light as hell and it's really well put together. From an e-reading point of view, this might not have the best resolution. To be honest, uh, 1028 by 768 or whatever, it seems a little 2013 in, ch- in terms of the screen tech that they used for the e-reader, but it's surprising because e-reading is actually really good. PDFs really aren't the best on it, but if you're just reading e-books, the Pocketbook Sense reads a multitude of formats, everything from EPUB to PDF to even Kindle-compatible format such as Mobi and PRC. Um, so this reads them all basically. So it's a it's a good investment if you can find one. In other Kobo news, Kobo has exclusively said that he that they will publish the ebook for the Gian Gomeshi book that is being written right now. It's gonna be coming out in June. So <clears throat> this guy was in Canada at least, a uh, major personality. Uh, he had a podcast, but he was also had his own show for a while in which he would candidly interview people. Uh, he interviewed Barbara Streisand, who's notorious for not doing very many interviews, but uh, his style of interviews really relaxed and chilled. And his podcast actually at CBC Radio 1 uh, was really good. A lot. He got probably the most listen to show in Canada. So Toronto Star investigative reporter Kevin Donovan is slated to write it. Um, This guy fell from grace uh, spectacularly. I guess he it it come out that he's into a lot of weird sexual type stuff. I won't really dive into it, but needless to say, he's in court facing eight counts. Basically, jaded ex-girlfriend was just like, dude, this guy's whack, you know, Uh, he does a lot of really weird stuff, and I'm not really into that, and he kind of forced it on me, 
So he said, she said type of thing. So that's why he basically lost his job at CBC Radio 1, penned an epic Facebook post on like his his uh, you know his his sexual nature and like what he's really into and i thought it was very weird it's not too often that you know at, at this point a lot of celebrities will go into like damage control they'll have like publicists and spin doctors and stuff that they'll hire in order to take away from what's really going on they won't really be honest and forthcoming i think that that's really the difference between celebrity culture and the states that are more prone to do things like that and canadian celebrities where a lot of canadian celebrities aren't really known they don't have a lot of crossover appeal between like canada and the states or canada and the uk canada and europe and such so you know our local celebrities and the people that are well known aren't well-known elsewhere. So it's not surprising that this is going to be a book that's might do well in Canada because it was in all the papers, all the tabloids and things like that. It still gets pressed. So uh, Kobo getting the exclusive ebook deal and ECW press basically distributing the print editions to bookstores um, in Canada and basically all over the world, just depending on who orders it or not. If you are into Google tablets, the Nexus 7 has been recently discontinued. It was originally released in 2013, and Google had been selling it on their website until uh, late last week. Friday was the cutoff date, and so you can't really get this anymore. Why should you care? Well, the Google line of tablets are really good for vanilla Android experience. When you buy like a Samsung, an LG, an HTC phone, all those phone companies put a lot of bloatware on it. So you might have three different app stores if you buy a Samsung phone. You might have the Samsung app store, the Google app store, and other app stores, as well as all of their different branded apps. So when you just take it out of the box, there's like 40 apps pre-installed. A lot of them you can't uninstall. The nice thing about the Google tablets is it's pure Android. You get the Google apps, but that's basically it. So those tablets tend to receive... OS upgrades very quickly because there's no barriers like there are with, say, Samsung with their TouchWiz interface. It takes a while for the new versions of Android to come out that will play nicely with their UI elements and things like that. So that's kind of why when new versions of Android comes out, a lot of phones don't get them right away, but pure Google devices do get them right away. So if you want to play with all the new features, Google Tablets is the way to go. I think that they're still selling the Nexus 9 right now, uh, but it's like $4.99, so it's pretty expensive. The 7-inch tablet, both in Wi-Fi and 3G, um, pretty inexpensive, like $1.50, $150, $199, and so on. So there is like a lot of things happening, but... I, what I've basically told you all were the most prevalent in terms of the last few weeks of news. I guess I'll probably leave it off about uh, Scholastic Storia. We all remember book fairs when we were probably young. Growing up in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada, we didn't really have, you know, when I was growing up, you know, there wasn't chapters bookstores. If I wanted to buy a book, I had to go to a mom-and-pop independent bookstore. There was a sci-fi fantasy bookshop I would buy a lot of. So kind of young Michael was reading a lot of Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms, kind of books like that. And then 
getting involved in like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and most youth you kind of work your way upwards to progressively uh, getting out of fiction and going to nonfiction. So I'm in a big nonfiction thing right now. But book fairs were the ways that I could really kind of order books when Scholastic would come and you'd get the catalog, you order books and then when they come you can pick up all the books from the fair. So I remember the first few books I bought from the Scholastic Book Fair. They were Hardy Boys books. And if any of you read Hardy Boys books growing up, Frank and Joe and I believe their good friend Chet. I don't know. And their dad and they had sort of like their own sort of mini detective agency. It was actually pretty awesome. But those were the books that I first bought from the Scholastic Book Fair. So there was no pop-up books. There was no, you know, a little dog, teach Clifford teaches you your ABCs or anything like that. I mean, you know, grade one, grade two, I was reading Hardy Boy books. So I've kind of always been reading. And because I've been reading for so long, I kind of had different tastes in books than my peers. I don't want to say like higher levels, but I, I was probably reading at a, a, a higher level than my age actually denoted but scholastic i guess has been trying to modernize the last few years from tangible books to ebooks and print is still a massive part of their business but they're trying to reach you know the the cell phone generation uh our kids now that have their own tablets like when they're in kindergarten you know they're they're using your ipad they're using your phone they're playing little games and things like that so this is truly like the connected generation of of kids and stuff that we have right now so storia launched in 2012 it was basically a platform in which people could subscribe to and get uh you know they could they could download the app you know for Kindle for Android for iOS, and they could buy digital ebooks from the platform. Um, didn't really do too well. It they did in 2012, and then they decided to scuttle the service in early 2014. Scholastic offered refunds for anyone who had purchased books during the entire duration of Storia because once they closed down their store, their apps no longer worked. Any of the purchased books that you downloaded would no longer work, um, especially if those books had received updates because with media-type books, which a lot of the Scholastic books were, they often have like updates to themselves. So what I was kind of talking about, Google issues, Android updates, books issue their own updates too. Sometimes they fix text. Sometimes they fix, you know, uh, different years and things like that, different printing versions, um, fixing errors, adding content, things like that. So that's sort of how that works. Now, Storia, when they scuttled their service, they're like, okay, we got to pivot. We had to try something else. So they worked on Scholastic Storia for education or for schools. This is a platform in which schools would subscribe to the service and then all the kids who use the app could use the school's logins and then read as many books as they want. So there's 2,000 titles right now and subscriptions start at about 2,000, but it's based on the size of the school and the user base. One of the things that teachers could do with this sort of unlimited Netflix for kids ebooks type of service is that they could organize their own collections so if you're like in an english class you could make a specific 
uh, like mini library that all the kids in your class have access to. If you're in science, you know, sort of the same thing you do, like a science theme thing, or if the school has any remedial reading, you know, for their specific books as part of any of the classes, they could distribute it and not have to pay anything extra beyond that their monthly subscription fee to Scholastic. There's been really no news since this launched September 2014. I haven't heard a peep from Scholastic. No press releases, no updates, no, you know. And this is always weird because all the time it's like, hey, you know, we just reached this milestone. We just reached this benchmark. You know, we went from 2,000 books to 5,000 in a period of months. Or, you know, schools all over the country are raving about Storia and having, uh, you know, snippets from principals and teachers about how much they dig the platform. I mean, you know, with that, if you follow the publishing or digital publishing or ebook industry, all the time it's like Amazon press release, Barnes Noble press release, Kobo press release, anybody who's involved in apps creation, hey, we just got this new app, blah, 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 it's awesome. But with, you know, with a big thing like Storia, the fact that they're not promoting it to the, with the media or reaching any type of goals or benchmarks, I find oddly perturbing because this is just so different from every other sort of digital platform out there so scholastic is working on something that will debut loosely sometime in 2015 it's allows parents to subscribe on an individual basis to this netflix for ebooks subscription platform so schools can do it right now but parents will be able to do it on an individual level. And, but, you know, I'm not really sold on this, like, all-you-can-eat ebook platform. It's not because the business model is inherently flawed, but I feel that the public has yet to accept it in a meaningful way because all the sheer amount of titles in the library are uh, very overwhelming it's really hard to make a decision when what you want to read if you are staring at a wall of 2,000 titles whereas if you're going to a bookstore it's presented in a very easy to digest manner which is why a lot of people still buy print books they don't buy print books just because it's like this is what I grew up on this is what I'm going to read you know, those same people are on Google News or they're using RRS feeds or they're, you know, checking out BuzzFeed or things like that uh, to get their online news. So people aren't adverse to reading digitally as the sheer amount of e-readers sold every year, the sheer amount of uh, apps, reading apps available for tablets. People are reading digitally. It's just that with the Netflix for ebooks concept, I mean, there's just so many titles that it's hard to make a decision. Whereas, you know, the aforementioned bookstore, I mean, you look at the bestsellers of the week and it's like, you know, 20 titles or, you know, books written by from Canadian authors and it's like a wall of 15 titles. I mean, it's really easy to, to look at each title individually, check it out, see if anything resonates with you. But if I was looking at a wall of 2000 titles, I'd be like, wow, you know, where do I start just picking books at random and looking at them? I mean, it's just, uh, it's too overwhelming. And I think that that's probably why we haven't heard much about story of education. And because I don't know if the public's yet embracing it. Are, are you a parent? Would you 
subscribe to Storia if you knew that there was 2,000 kids ebooks available and they could read as much as they want for you know a low monthly price. What that price is, no one knows, but $10.99, $9.99 is pretty well the industry standard at this point. Drop a comment below. If you're listening to this on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, any of those other services, uh, you can comment by going to our website at goodyweeder.com. And for Goody Weeder, my name is Michael, and everybody take care.